This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. Today, we're introducing you to our latest Guardian Australia podcast, Season 2 of Look At Me, where science journalist Ray Johnston and conservationist Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild bring you weird and wonderful tales of Australian wildlife. In this episode, the first one in the series, we meet an endangered butterfly who outsources its parenting to a colony of ants. And this has inspired human fans to write a very catchy song about it. Okay, enjoy. Hi, I'm Ray Johnston and this is Look At Me, a show where we discover Australia's lesser known but no less fascinating animals. I'm here with co-founder of nature charity Remember the Wild, Chris McCormack. Hello, Chris. G'day, Ray. So nice to see you. (laughs) So I've heard great things about you from my friend Ben Law, who co-hosted season one with you. He told me you introduced him to animals he didn't even know existed, like the three-metre worm and the giant cuttlefish. So, Chris, I have to ask, what have you got for me this season? Yeah, well, I promise I haven't run out of animals. There's still plenty (laughs) of them out there. Um, And not just that, but in between the lockdowns, I've been able to meet some amazing researchers, conservationists, basically the people who dedicate their lives to studying and looking after these species. And I'm really looking forward to talking about them with you as well. Yeah, awesome. And Chris, you've got a background in ecology and marine biology and you're studying your PhD in conservation psychology. So you'd know a lot about these animals from your own research, right? Oh, look, yeah, I'm a bit of a nature nerd, Ray. Um, I do spend a lot of time thinking about the natural world, talking about the natural world, muttering about the natural world in my sleep. Um, <laughs> but I've also seen and read a lot of your stories about animals, Ray, so I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to talk to you about this stuff because you're, of course, a science journalist. Yeah, I've covered a fair few stories about conservation and the environment. You know, they're both subjects that I feel really passionate about. So I'm really excited to hear more about these animals from you, including this week's mystery animal. Great. Last season we had Ben and he didn't know anything, so maybe (laughs) that was a little too easy. I'm going to have to try a bit harder to find interesting facts for you this season, Ray. Look, I'm never going to say don't try hard. I'm very much in the camp of do your best work always. I'm a bit of an overachiever in that sense. But that being said, no, feel free to share everything. Ray, do you know much about insects? I know a little bit about insects. I mostly know about things like beetles that get tiny little cameras shoved on the back of them and they're crawling around doing cool things. So this species is named after a suburb in Greater Melbourne called Altham. Mm. And it's found in the more natural areas around that suburb. It's an interesting one because it has its own groupies. It has basically a musical following this insect, which is pretty different. In fact, these people are so devoted to this insect, they've written a song about it. Groupies for an insect. Do they have, like, little T-shirts? Do they sell merch? Who are these people? I need to know everything about them. Yeah, well, these guys live in Castle, Maine, in central Victoria, and they love to sing and they also love nature. So I guess it's kind of an organic process for them to create this kind of music. (laughs) So how do they all even know each other? Is it just that they live close by? 
Yeah, I think, you know, Jane and James, uh, who you hear here, are very big in the Castle Main sort of folk um, and choir music scene. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really well-connected and lovely community. So I think that's that's they all get together and <laughs> sing beautiful songs. <laughs> so how and why did they decide to write this song? Well, my understanding was that uh, Jane was sort of walking in local bushland in Castlemaine and saw some interpretive board, some kind of sign that was talking about the Eltham Copper Butterfly, which has been discovered in that area as well now. And she thought, what a fantastic life history. This needs to be sung about. This needs to be communicated. You know, it's, it's connection with nature. It's expressing love and appreciation for a really local, really specific species to, uh, you know, Victoria through folk music and, and communal singing. The Eltham copper butterfly is a rare and beautiful creature. The nectar of sweet Bessaria, its predominant dietary feature. Witness the Notonkus ant marching up and down the plant. Cares for the caterpillar underground and helps its life cycle go round. Oh, that was beautiful. I wish I could learn about insects through song all the time. I might actually remember some of the facts I'm meant to remember. Yeah, isn't that the most heartwarming and also somewhat bizarre uh, song that you've ever heard? Look, I've encountered some fans of some pretty strange things over the years, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to criticise these people at all. If you want to be a fan of a butterfly, go for it. And it sounds like a pretty special butterfly too. I guess this 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 song, the whole purpose of this song is to help people learn about insects and it really gets stuck in your head. Like it's a real, you know, it's an earworm or perhaps an ear caterpillar would be a better description for this one. Oh, I see what you did there. No, it's very reminiscent of something that you would hear on play school. I can imagine them adopting it. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit fantastic. Apparently kids love this song. They love getting involved, but adults love to sing it too. And so it's actually, it's a round. Uh, it's it's called a round. I know nothing about music, by the way. Oh, I remember doing this in primary school, although in primary school I was the only person not to get into the school choir, which damaged my self-esteem <laughs> for many years afterwards. But I remember attempting to do these singing in the round when I was a kid. I didn't know people continued to do it into adulthood, though. Yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of feeling bad now because I'm worried if this is going to be triggering for you if you had these kind of <laughs> choir abandonment situation happening. Uh, but yes, apparently other people, the people that got picked for choir do go on and they do continue to do these rounds and then they potentially also make these rounds up about uh, spectacular species, including those in the insect world. The it's a dominant dietary creature. Witness so we'll come back to these butterfly groupies a bit later on, but first I want to introduce you to Elaine Bays, an ecological consultant. She lives in Castlemaine in central Victoria and she works on all sorts of things, but she's also become a real expert and a real advocate for the Altham copper butterfly. Well, I think Australians, no offence, love Australians, are a wee bit spoilt and a wee bit pampered because if you've lived in a 14-storey council flat in the heart of one of Glasgow's roughest suburbs and the only wildlife you see is maybe on a Saturday night on your way home from the <laughs> pub, it kind of tends to make you realise when you arrive here and you get taken out into the bush and you're like, oh my 
God. And I'm not exaggerating here. I actually remember going, this thing's living in the wild. <laughs> you know, it's like mind-boggling. I, I, I think the first thing I saw was we went skiing, backcountry skiing up somewhere. I don't even know what it was. And it was camped on the snow. In the middle of the night, I heard a wee rustling sound. And I opened up my zip on the snow on the top of my camp stove. was a little antichinus of some kind, a little native marsupial mouse. And I was like, Alice in Wonderland or something. I was like, what? She does have a point there. We do tend to grow up a little like Disney princesses, just absolutely surrounded by birds and animals. And, you know, I grew up in the country. I was lucky enough to grow up with wildlife all around me. And it was really normal to just be like, yeah, I'm just going down to have a look at the wombats. And mum be like, do not crawl in the wombat burrows. They will tunnel straight through you. And that is another memory of my childhood that I have released to you here on this show today. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Getting, did you, just the, the, just the fear, the wombat fear, or did you actually try to crawl down a burrow and get wombatted? Oh, no, mum knows that if she didn't tell me, I would have absolutely tried to crawl down there just to give him a little pat, you know? You've got wombats yeah. there. They're adorable. They're cute. You want to give them a hug. They don't want to be hugged, especially no. in their homes. So this is something I had to have drilled into me at a very young age. Mum knew. Mum knew what she was dealing with. I try to pat and love all the animals. I'm a menace. Didn't didn't you watch Blinky Bill growing up? Wombo was a real asshole. You know, he was a <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, you know. He was he was not friendly. Um, well, that's a, yeah, that's an amazing memory. Look, you know, I'm the same. I grew up in the country, and you know, maybe sometimes we can take it for granted in Australia how lucky we are. We have all this amazing biodiversity. Uh, Elaine has come from obviously Scotland, and she she didn't have that growing up, and so this is just wonderland for her as someone who does have an interest in ecology and in in nature. I think sometimes we do need to hear the perspective of someone who yeah, wasn't exposed to this many animals growing up to understand really how lucky we are to be surrounded by them. It makes me feel nice. I can understand how you'd become obsessed with something if you were never exposed to it growing up, though. Yeah, so it's quite it's quite amazing too because this this is a niche insect. Like this, look at me. We try and find niche animals. We've gone really niche. Like I've found a very specific insect here that is specific to certain areas and does specific things and it has specific people looking at it. And one of those people comes from as far away as, as Europe. So it's, it's, it's astounding to me the, the kind of people that we have looking at these animals in Australia. So it's niche and it's obscure, but are they limited in numbers? Are they, are they rare as in there's only a handful of them? Are they at risk? Yeah, so this, this particular species is, is, is one that has not had a good run, you know, and that's, that's partly why it is so niche, its numbers, but also because of its lifestyle, its life history, really. Um, it's restricted to certain environments. And so, yeah, it's, it's quite a rare insect species. And, you know, it, if there was a time that we actually thought we'd lost it. And they disappeared uh, and they thought they'd gone extinct because they weren't seen for 30 years. And they didn't know there were anybody else at this point. And then in 1987, they found it as part of a, an assessment for a housing estate. 
And they went, oh, we found it again. It's come back. Uh, so that was 1987. And so the community, which is amazing for an, an invertebrate, the community fought to have that not no longer be a housing estate. And uh, and it was also then listed on the Flora and Foreign Guarantee Act, which is our Victorian sort of conservation legislation. It's the only first insect to ever be listed. And so why people were so passionate about it, I don't really understand. But they were, and it's fantastic. So it is a real icon species for the community. That's incredible to have everyone fight for an insect. You don't hear that very often. It's usually the cute, cuddly animals that get everyone's sympathy. I think this is a pretty unusual case. Yeah, absolutely. And when it, you know, when it comes to insects generally, the fighting tends to be against them, right? We tend to be waging whole-scale war against them with pesticides, both industrially and at home. So to have a community gather around this this species that they thought was gone, perhaps because no one was looking hard enough, but then they found it. And then they said, no, you're not building houses here. This this is where this insect lives. It's incredible. And I think it, it highlights the importance of actually describing animals and insects as well. That's, you know, you hear every other week, you know, there's been five trapdoor spiders in southeast Queensland that have been described. And some people might say, what's the point of that? You know, we, they're all just trapdoors. Why does it matter? But it's so that we can be specific like this and protect them. Uh, well, the elf of copper butterfly, it's uh, special because it's basically got a three-way relationship with one plant species, so it's totally relying on uh, one plant, which is a kind of shrub called sweet borsaria or borsaria spinosa for the plant geeks out there. And with one species of ant, which is a, um, a little ant called Natonchus capitatus. Uh, and it's like without those two things that elephant and copper can't survive. Chris, tell me about the role of this Natonchus ant. What's going on here? Why does the Eltham copper butterfly need it so much? Yeah, it's quite amazing. So so this is one of the key, you know, it's a three-way relationship, basically, this 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 butterfly has <laughs> going on, you know. It's a polyamorous butterfly. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and so basically, the ants are looking after this caterpillar. They're looking after little baby butterfly larvae and they're protecting it. They're looking after it underground where the ants live and then they're also taking it up and down the sweet basaria plant that they need to feed on uh, and protecting them from predators and potentially parasites. That's amazing. What kind of predators do they have? Well, I guess you'd have, you know, your standard thing like birds and that kind of thing might be eating them but a lot of the, probably their biggest risk is being um is wasps and and, and things coming in and and lay basically parasitizing them so th- things like ichneumon wasps that will come in and sting them and lay their eggs inside them and then the eggs will hatch out and eat the caterpillar alive um, horrific, so that's horrific. Yeah. So zombie caterpillars we end up with basically from that. Yeah, yeah, you could do without that if you're a caterpillar. So, you know, you, you, ants, help me, please. That's kind of the situation. Now, I did notice in the song that it did talk about a specific kind of nectar that this butterfly feeds on. Is this the only nectar that it feeds on? Is that what contributes to it being so rare? Well, that's a good question actually. The caterpillar larvae clearly need the sweet basaria. So the butterflies seek out the sweet basaria and tend to feed on them. Uh, 
because that's where they need to breed and it's where they need to lay their eggs. They need to go down the base of the sweet passaria plant and lay their eggs there because that's what the caterpillars need. So I'm guessing this flower must have been prolific in that area that there was going to be housing built back in 87. I wonder how widespread this flower is and if we could be relocating this butterfly to other areas around the country where it could potentially thrive. In terms of the the how common the sweet passaria is, yeah, it's not rare actually. It's not rare. It's quite widely distributed. But you don't get these butterflies on every sweet passaria plant. So not sure what's going on there, but there, there seems to be a pickiness that we're we're not we're not quite fully understanding. <laughs> They're fussy eaters. Just eat your nectar. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you can have kids and they're picky about what they eat. You know, what are you going to do? Well, kids will just eventually eat whatever they're given, but these butterflies seem even <laughs> fussier than toddlers. So come on, they're being ridiculous. Help us help you, butterflies. Yeah, that's true. But while they might be fussy, once they find a Bessaria plant that they like, there's no holding back. If you're a fat little juicy morsel of protein that, and all you're doing is eating, because basically between the egg and the larvae, sorry, the egg and the adult, you're just the eating phase. And they increase, I can't remember the amount now, but they, well, they basically increase from 2.5 mil to like 12 mil. So whatever that is, uh, arithmetic, arithmetically. So it's a lot. And like, you're just a packet of food. So, you know, you want to be, I'd be hiding somewhere during the day <laughs> <laughs> if I was that fat and tasty. Yeah, they sound like perfect little snacks, if I'm honest. I'd be surprised if we weren't eating them as well. We tend to eat everything. So we, yeah, well, maybe after this we can go and look for some sweet passaria and, and just... <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine the outrage? We'll get the protesters back again, being like these awful podcast people uh, eating the larvae of this butterfly we've been fighting to protect for 100 years. We could get you that T-shirt, <laughs> but we could have the, the caterpillar on a plate or something. Oh, no. <laughs> Release a group of recipes. Can we not do this? This would be horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the fan club of the Alpham Copper Butterfly. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so it actually spends, spends its time during the day underground with the ants in their in their nest, under the dirt, away from the world, hidden away, locked down, if you will. Um, <laughs> I don't know, people are probably tired of lockdown jokes by this point. <laughs> but at night, when predation is perhaps reduced, they come up onto the plant and, and go about feeding. You know, as Elaine said there, this is the eating stage, just eat, 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 eat. And the ants are kind of shepherding them up and down the plant, you know, in, in mass, looking after them, protecting them from potentially, you know, parasitic wasps, spiders, what, you know, whatever might want, to, might want to eat them. It's funny to me because when I think of ants interacting with, you know, caterpillars, I think of them eating them, not protecting them. It's surprising to hear of this relationship occurring. Is, is this kind of relationship common? Well, not generally. There are lots of different caterpillar, there are lots of different butterfly species uh, that have relationships with ants, but there are, you know, there are a heck of a lot of ants that eat other caterpillars, right? Like Natonkis ants, I would expect if you're not 
an Altham Copper butterfly larvae, then you're on the menu. If you're not that species, then yes, they'll eat you. They've got a truce. They've got a deal worked out. Yeah, there's some kind of deal happening, you know. And, and look, it's not just during the day that these larvae are protected. The larvae at night, the butterfly go out at night and they don't go out alone or they'd probably be gobbled up by something. Um, they're totally protected all the time, like this little mafia group that's following them around, you know, scaring away predators. Uh, and all the way up, if you come out at night with a torch and you happen to be lucky to see one, you wouldn't see one without ants because without ants... There's some evidence with other species that there's 95% parasitism or uh, gobbled up by something. So the ants do an amazing job at keeping them from being eaten. They do things like they have, uh, if you imagine the larvae is like a, a caterpillar, every segment of their abdomen has got some kind of weird funky thing that, that's got different ways of enticing ants or, or scaring away predators. So one of them has got a little uh, gland on it that gives it a kind of sugary substance Ooh. or a honeydew, people call it, because it looks like a little ball of uh, dew. And it's got carbohydrates, uh, 15 amino acids and lots of sugar. So it's like chocolate nice. to me. I'd say it was chocolate to me. So I'd follow a, I'd follow a little grub around who was handing me out chocolates. <laughs> and then it's got other mechanisms, like all, all some other abdominal segments do things like uh, it's got this kind of funky... Uh, how do you describe? It kind of pops out, a little kind of tube that pops out with kind of spines in the end that gives off pheromones. They reckon that some of those pheromones, are, some of them are brood mimicking, which means that they give off a chemical that's very similar to, like, imagine baby ants would have. And so, like, the kind of, I'm anthropomorphizing, but they say the ants want to look after those eggs, the little ant eggs, and so they might, like, fondle them or roll them over and tend them lovingly. And so the Eltham Cobber butterfly uh, larvae, the caterpillars, they give off a similar substance. And so the ants maybe think that they're their babies. And so they've been seen actually palpating them with an antenna in there and like looking after them in a kind of <laughs> loving motherly relationship. So it's like, what? That's chemical war- warfare, you know what I mean? Like in a kind of weird way. Uh, they give off other chemicals that uh, are alarm, alarm ant mimicking chemicals. So again, they've copied, I don't even know how this happens. I mean, what's the chances of this? They copy this the odour that an ant might give out when it's alarmed about something, and that makes all the other ants run over and go, oh, what's going on, what's going on? And so by doing that, if that, like, if that caterpillar senses danger and it does that, all of a sudden you've got a, the mafia back for you instantly saying, what's going on, what's going on, what, and defending you. So it's like, what? Is that special or what? That's incredible. We need to harness this power. If I could somehow make people think that I was just a helpless, crying, at-risk baby and just have people around me just feeding me great food and making sure that I'm safe. What a trickster. I love this so much. How clever. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Like to me, it's it's also like the the number of potential mechanisms, and it's not just the elf and copper butterfly. So they they are they exist in a group of butterflies called the blues, which is confusing because we're talking about a copper butterfly. <laughs> but they that's sort of some of the tricks that the blues have in their various relationships with ants, and so we suspect some of that must be going on with the elf and copper butterfly. But what I love about it is the amount of different tricks. It's almost like over evolutionary time, the ants have sort of wised up to what's going on and so they've had to invent a new trick. (laughs) 
They've said, I see what you're doing here. And it's like, yeah, but would you like a treat? And they're like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. When she first said pheromones, though, my mind went somewhere different. I wasn't thinking maternal instinct pheromones. I was thinking, is this caterpillar making these ants horny? Oh, you're thinking, you're thinking sexy, sexy <laughs> smells. Yeah. Sexy pheromones, <laughs> sexy smells. It's like, follow me around, adore me. But it was the yeah. opposite. It was like, follow me around, protect my helplessness, and I'll feed you chocolate. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost more sadistic, isn't it? No, I'm actually one of your, your infants. Help me out. <laughs> and, you know, then, then I can release an alarm chemical and you will think that I'm one of you, you know, who's come across, I don't know, some kind of enemy and you all need to rally behind me. But I think what we are working out here, Ray, is that they're definitely worth going out and eating. That seems to be the thing that keeps coming coming back to <laughs> yeah. me because they're also handing out chocolate, basically. So <laughs> They must taste so good for any, like any predator is just going to go, yeah, i got to get my hands on one of these caterpillars. This is what, you know, this is like if you have a newborn baby and, you know, it's releasing these pheromones that, you know, and all these other chemicals that, you know, there's all these chemical reactions that make you love it because it's your newborn baby, but it's also giving you chocolate bars. So it's just like, this is the best baby ever. Yes. That's fine. Look, it all works. It all works. Babies are complicated, beautiful, helpless little animals, just like these caterpillars, I must say. Taking advantage of of us is what you're saying. Manipulating us. (laughs) Yeah. They're (laughs) deceitful, manipulative, little tiny creatures that we adore. Some of them. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Ray, babies are, you know, amazing and and obviously ants love their babies too in whatever way that works, you know, or they look after them at least. (laughs) (laughs) They sure do. Um. So ants, like us, they look after their young, you know, and they tend them and then the caterpillars, you know, sort of taking advantage of that. But babies grow up. They do. You want them to stay young forever, but they grow up. And so does this caterpillar. And once it grows up, well, they do as all adults like to do. This could get into the the rude part of the segment because I'm really interested in the sex stuff. It's also fascinating. Uh, Before the wings have dried in some species... The males can actually find them and mate with oh. them before they can fly away. <laughs> oh. So as soon as they become an adult, adult phase is just about sex, eating and reproducing and laying eggs. So some females don't last long at all because their mission is just to have sex, lay eggs and potentially just die. It's all about time and they want to do it as fast as they can because they've got quite short lives. And so it's, it's an amazingly complex world of trying to find a mate, identify a mate, make sure it's your own species and then lay eggs as quickly as possible on the right plant with the ant species. So that's their main focus. They don't even wait for the wings to dry. These awful, horrific, opportunistic male butterflies. This is like, buy a dinner first. Jeez. Agree. (laughs) I mean, yeah, unfortunately, the natural world doesn't always uh, keep in step with our, our... sort of sentimentalities about about things so yeah i mean look obviously it's a race it's a race to reproduce and um yeah whether you can fly yet or not doesn't seem to be a, a barrier 
I tell you what, I'd be wanting to stay as that caterpillar as long as humanly possible, being loved and adored by an army of ants rather than just, oh, I'm so horrified for these butterflies. I have I have a tremendous amount of empathy now for these female butterflies. <laughs> I just want to take them under my wing and protect them, but I suppose that's not really how they're going to continue to survive as a species, is it? No, I guess not. And look, you know, they, as Elaine said, is as blunt as it sounds, you know, that's, they're just, they lay eggs and then die. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just a beautiful thing. Look, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Feminism hasn't taken off in the world of the alpha copper butterfly, that's for sure. <laughs> No, and look, you know, like humans, we're pretty special, right? Like we're, we're we're pretty different in the way that we we do things. We raise very few kids over a very long period of time, and we we form these partnerships and and family bonds to help do that. And that's just not the way it works for many, many, many other species. You know, they're laying heaps of eggs, right? Like, get them out. <laughs> How many eggs are they laying? Like hundreds, thousands? Oh, yeah, hundreds. Yeah, that'll do. (laughs) (laughs) The Alpham Copper Butterfly is a rare and beautiful creature. So at the start, uh, Ray, I played you this amazing song by the Butterfly Groupies. You know, this is, I mean, I just love when certain species, they're super niche and they have this little cult following. You know, it's like, like this caterpillar is literally underground. It's literally underground for a lot of its life. So, but it's but it's like you know, it's kind of like I knew about the elephant copper butterfly before it was cool, and that's what that's who these people are. <laughs> the ultimate hipsters. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> they've made this beautiful song, and this is you know um, primarily speaking here. You hear Jane uh, Thompson, and Jane is uh, yeah, they're obviously local to Castlemaine, local to Central Victoria. And I, I got put in touch with them by people who know about this butterfly. They, they were like, you know, this is an amazing species. It's so awesome. Oh, by the way, there's a song about it. Yes, I wrote this song. I wrote a song about the Eltham Copper Butterfly after being given a card with a picture of the butterfly on the front and then an explanation of the quite special symbiotic relationship um, that surrounds the, the butterfly's life. And I wanted to remember it, so I put it into a song. And we do a lot of singing um, without instruments, partly because for a long time I didn't play any instruments that <laughs> accompanied singing. <laughs> you told me that this song is a round. What, what is a round? So a round is a song that makes harmony with itself so that you can, um, you can sing the song and then when you get to, then someone starts and then when, it get, when they get to the end of the first line, someone else starts at the beginning of the song, it's a way of making instant harmony. So the song becomes a harmony with itself and becomes really satisfying to sing. So you don't need any anything other than just the voices. To you can't sing around on your own. <laughs> You've got to have a um, someone someone to sing it with you, which is such a beautiful thing. I think I might be getting triggered by all this choir singing, but it really is quite beautiful. Isn't it? Be- beautiful, that is, not triggering. 
And uh, as I was talking <laughs> to Jane, we were also joined by other choir members, Judy and James. It's, it strikes me that um, this is a song about a species that um, has all these mutual uh, mutualistic relationships and the singing style itself is very much about relying on one another. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice way of looking well, at it. It makes you feel happy singing that song because you're actually singing about a miracle. You know, you're singing about the miracle of life and finding out something and, as we were saying, you know, singing about something that happens around here as well as in other places. So, yeah, you do. You feel happy and good singing it. It's a ridiculous song <laughs> and it's a ridiculous story and so you you just marvel at the song and you marvel at the content of the, at the butterfly. butterfly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's marvellous. <laughs> the Elthorus Hopesaria is a dominant dietary creature with no seamosaries and its predominant dietary creature. There's so much depth to this song. There's so many layers and, and symbolism. I, I genuinely did not expect that when you first told me about this. Yeah, it's an amazing thing and it's, so, it's just so beautiful to me that, that people would, would do this. And, I, you know, I think it's the, the definition to me of connection with a place and connection with, with, with the natural world around you is bringing that into culture and making it a part of, you know, your community and making it a part of folk music, you know, that, and that's what folk music's great for as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think it's just such a beautiful thing that they've done. Well, thank you, Chris. I've learned some incredible things about the Alpham Copper Butterfly today and its incredible life cycle. And I think I will be taking on some tips from its caterpillar and just learning how to emit pheromones that make people look after me, care for me, so I never have to move ever again. Yeah, I mean, good luck with that, uh, Ray. Um, no, but really, happy <laughs> <laughs> to explain. I mean, it's such an awesome, <laughs> awesome species and it's the definition of what Look At Me is about, right? It's a about, you know, once we started looking harder for this species, we rediscovered it and we then could protect it and we then could make amazing songs about it. I think Ray and I should try and sing this song together. Oh, my God, no. See <laughs> <laughs> how some cup. <laughs> you can't make me do this. <laughs> this is trauma. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's going to be in my head for ages and probably yours. We've got plenty more amazing animals for you this season. Next week, we'll meet the CrossFit gym junkies of the skies and a zoologist who embarked on an emotional journey to save them. Look at Me is supported by the Australian Conservation Foundation. It's hosted by me, Ray Johnston, in Darug Country, and Chris McCormack on Jajaburung Country. It's also produced by Chris from Remember the Wild and Jane Lee and Camilla Hannan at Guardian Australia. Camilla also did the sound design. Catch you next time. Underground and helps its life cycle go round.